0: Hey, we want to spend a little bit of time in teaching Romans chapter 8 today. So if you don't mind to turn to Romans chapter 8 in your Bible, Uh, I just want to say I'm I'm so grateful. I've been gone on vacation for a couple of weeks and we had Dr. Green here a week before that. So it's been a little while, you know, kind of like you got a guest preacher here today. And so I appreciate y'all letting me go. Uh, Millie and I had a great time. We went to my 40th class reunion and uh, it was really, really good. We had a good, good time. And, uh, you know, Randy kind of mentioned the culture here a moment ago, and I just kind of real briefly want to touch on a couple of things this morning, just because this is a passage that I'm so excited about and very excited for us to get into. Romans chapter 8, you know, watching the news these past four or five years, kind of watching the emotional meltdown in America, have you noticed, you know, people, uh, you know, on airplanes just melting down and, and, uh, you know, acting more like terrorists than passengers, and you watch You know, really nice, sweet soccer moms go to school board meetings, and they're like pit bulls in the school board meetings. And fathers, you know, with kids in the car, they get cut off in traffic, and they want to chase somebody down and shoot them because they, you know, cut them off in traffic. You know, college students wail in protest because of a lecture on campus they disagree with. And then perhaps most disheartening, you know, men and women both go to churches and schools or sometimes church schools and open fire, and kill indiscriminately. And it appears that as a nation, many Americans have lost all emotional restraint and self-control. And if you're like me, you're thinking, like Randy talked about, the freight train effect. Like, man, what is happening that so many Americans are just so emotionally distraught, so angry? And the irony is incredible, because as a society right now, we care more about people's emotions and their feelings than we ever have before. And the net result of that is that we've cared so much more about it, we've addressed it so much more than ever, but people are more emotionally volatile than they've ever been. And I want you to see a quote here. I read this in a book this week. This was said in 1980. This is James Dobson. Emotional experience in the Western world has become the primary motivation of values and actions and even spiritual beliefs We are living in a day when people are being encouraged to release their emotions, to grant them even greater power in ruling their destinies. Nothing could be more dangerous than to permit our emotions to rule our destinies. Isn't that so prescient for him to see over the horizon from back in 1980 and here we are. And think about this, the things that we see happening in our streets, our schools, our airplanes, what about our homes? What about our churches? What is happening? That way you're so out of control emotionally. So this week and next, the title is going to be Overcoming Emotional Exhaustion. See, I really believe that we've become an emotionally exhausted society. National and world events have brought out such emotional stress and so many strong emotions in wave after wave, one right after another. There was 9-11, then there was the war on terror, then there were school shootings, then mass shootings, the economic meltdown of 2008, job loss, COVID-19, quarantines, vaccines, riots, January 6th meltdown, then explosive inflation. All those things have been happening. Back about, uh, about five or six days ago, Melanie came home and she'd gone to Walmart and she was there going to, you know, standing in front of the meat section, you know, going to buy some meat. And I know that's real challenging these days and trying to find a good deal. And a woman standing next to her got upset and just out loud, just exasperated. She said, I don't know what they think we're supposed to do. And Melanie came home and told me that, you know, that experience that she had had. And we both agreed, it's so hard for so many right now. You know, in addition to all the things that have been going on nationally, maybe in your own personal life, you've got a high pressure job, you've got financial stress, you're being a caregiver, there's been a divorce, there's been a death in the family, there's been a chronic illness, maybe criticism from family or friends. You may be sitting here thinking to yourself, you know, what else do I have to endure And as these events unfold, you may begin to feel as though you're losing your grip on life. You don't know exactly how to put it into words, but you just feel emotionally exhausted. People experience emotional exhaustion when they feel like they have no power over what happens in their life. And these emotionally draining events just keep coming one after another, and you just feel powerless. You become angry. You become anxious. You become depressed, hopeless, tearful. You're always tired. You're unable to work. You have no motivation. Because there's this long-term gap between your strength, your resources on one side, and the demands of your life on the other. And so you see this little graphic up here really quick. Your demands are big, all right? But the strength you have to face them seems kind of small. And you might be sitting here today going, Les, that's me. That's me. The demands on me are so much more than the resources I have to address them. And I feel like I'm emotionally exhausted. What can I do? Well, when the world looks at this issue, their solution is to do what I do so many times, and that is just reduce demands. And there's some merit to that point of view. God tells you and me to honor the Sabbath, get some rest, and that you know overworking and overwearing can be very, very damaging to us. But the mistake that the world makes and the thing that our flesh wants to do more than anything else is our flesh just wants to quit. Quit your job, quit your marriage, quit your ministry, quit your kids, And more and more often lately, just quit life. And I don't know where you might be today. I don't know what you might be thinking today. But if that quit mentality is like hardened in your heart and your mind, and maybe even had those thoughts about just quitting life altogether, or quitting your marriage, quitting your home, whatever it might be, I just want to ask you from the bottom of my heart, man, just be here for two weeks. You know, be here, be here for a couple of weeks because, man, we're getting into, like, the meat of the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, because there's another aspect to addressing this very real threat in our lives of emotional exhaustion, that is to increase our strength to meet the demands of life. The demands can be the same, but you increase your emotional strength, your emotional resources, and then those demands are not so intimidating. And so Romans chapter eight, it's kind of like climbing a mountain. You know, when you go on a hike up a beautiful mountain, the hike itself is beautiful. You're in the trees and your trail is great. But man, when you reach the summit, it is spectacular. You know, it is majestic. And I don't know if anything else that's going to be able to give you and me that kind of a view of God's grace, God's goodness, and God's power in our life, quite like Romans chapter eight. I just wanna tell you, in the midst of this crazy world that we're living in, that Romans chapter eight, man, it is a rock that you can stand on. And, And moms and dads, I would just say, number one, kind of like Dave and Cindy were talking about too, man, start spending time meditating on Romans chapter eight. Man, get that grafted into your heart and your mind and then do that for your kids as well because, man, it is an incredible, incredible passage. And so I want you to look, first of all, at verse six. In verse six, the apostle Paul says, the mind that is governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Now, Michael Kano, thank you. Uh, he did a great job you know, teaching for me last week. I'm so grateful for him. I'm not gonna go back and rehash everything he said, but that is such an important statement. It truly is. We have a choice to make in life. It's kind of like in the matrix when Morpheus comes to, to Neo, and he says, there's a red pill and there's a blue pill. You know, you take one or the other, and we can take the blue pill. We can leave everything the way it's always been, live like we always have, think like we always have, and if you choose to allow your mind to just be managed by your flesh, Paul says, the result is going to be death. If you study God's word through and through, you're going to find that death always comes down to four basic things. Death spiritually means number one fear. Fear shows up in our lives as anxiety, worry, dread, phobia, OCD. You know the need for control, uh, timidity. You know overwhelming shyness, things like that. The next one is shame. Death shows up as shame. That shows up as guilt, regret, self-hatred, sometimes self-righteousness, perfectionism. That's all an outgrowth of shame. Scripturally speaking death also produces hostility. This is you know, like Cindy mentioned hatred. You know, girl drama led her to Jesus, you know. We kind of say, oh it's just girl drama. No, the Bible calls it hatred. <laughs> okay? That's hatred, <laughs> all right? I hate her. Okay, we're we'll going to take you at your word. You need to be saved. You need Jesus, you know. There's resentment. There's bitterness, revenge or cruelty. Have you noticed the rage addiction in America? Jonathan Turley mentioned that in the congressional hearings just the other day, the impeachment hearings. The rage addiction in the United States of America. What is it? It is death. As we move farther from God, we're experiencing death. Why? Because minds are not being governed by the Spirit because of the kind of preaching Randy talked about. As goes the pulpit, so go the people. As go the people, so go the politics. And the last one is emptiness. Emptiness. These things come into our lives as loneliness, depression, discouragement, despair, meaninglessness. My life means nothing. And there's anything that young people are battling today. It's that just sense of emptiness. And so when you read your Bible cover to cover, when the Bible talks about death in the spiritual realm, it's those four things. And as Christians, we're not immune from this. The Bible says in James chapter one, remember you're being tempted when sin is allowed to grow. It gives birth to death. And so you can see this dark cloud encroaching on our country as we get farther and farther from God. And I have to tell you, there are no political solutions to the problems that we're facing. And so don't put all your passion into politics. Your passion needs to be in the kingdom. But what is life? Paul says a mind governed by the spirit is life. Well, if death is fear, then life is courage. And that shows up in our lives as things like peace and hope and Tranquility and confidence. And if death is shame, then life is acceptance. And that shows up in your life and mine as this, this security, this, this confidence, this this belief, this this hope and assurance that we have. And if death is hostility, then life is love. We don't just feel hostility toward people, but we have grace. We don't just have anger. We have compassion, kindness, even affection or tenderness. I and mean, when you see the people who are you know, in the parades and doing some of the other things that they do and they're, or they're you know, teaching kids bad things or doing terrible things, do you ever have a sense of tenderness in your heart? For those people, they're so lost. They're so lost because of the emptiness. And if death is emptiness, what is life? Life is contentment. A sense of well-being. Fulfillment, joy, vitality. In the Old Testament, it's called shalom. No, verse six, you notice Paul's words. When he contrasts death, he doesn't say death versus life, but he calls, says it life and peace. There's a profound emotional effect on your life and mind when our mind is governed by or managed by the Spirit of God. Malachi chapter two, verse five. The purpose of my covenant, God says, was to bring life and peace. And that is what I gave them. You know, we had you know, Lord's Supper a few moments ago. We talked about the new covenant. What's the purpose of the new covenant? For the spirit of Jesus to be in your heart and mind to give us what? Life and peace. And as surely as night follows day, as surely as winter follows fall, as surely as smoke follows fire, peace will follow your mind and mine being managed by the Spirit of God. So now here we are, verse 12. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I want to ask you to look at that word obligation for a moment. Like, Fix your attention there for a moment. Oftentimes that word is translated debt and you might have that in your translation. And it means someone has a duty to pay someone back or like I am compelled to to, uh, give back to this person because I'm so grateful for what they've done for me. And I just wanna take a moment to say, I am so grateful and I feel so indebted to uh, Faith Covenant Church. Uh, Thank you so much for... Man, y'all are always so kind and so generous to us, uh, to me and Melanie both. And uh, I know it's because Melanie is so sweet. And I know you don't want anything to get back to her. Uh, So thank you so much for that. It means so much to us. And we do feel an obligation. We do feel a sense of indebtedness to Faith Covenant Church because our elders, our deacons, and our congregation, uh, and our staff oh, my goodness, the staff I get to work with, uh, so good to us. So. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. We do feel so blessed. We truly do. My kids feel it too, by the way. My kids are so grateful for the years they got to spend here at FCC. Now, almost everybody here is very familiar with that word that Paul uses here because Jesus used it. We all know the Lord's prayer. When Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the very same word that Paul uses here. You know, back in Jesus's day, the prisons were not full of criminals per se because if you committed a pretty bad crime. You might've gotten the death penalty or some other really sadistic and cruel punishment. The prisons were full of debtors, people who owe people money and you would get incarcerated until you could pay what you owed to your creditor. And the system was meant to put pressure on people who were incarcerated, uh, who had a a relative who was incarcerated because of debt. And so the family, once the person was thrown in prison, they had to find a way to get that person out of prison because the prisons were so filthy, so disease-ridden, and so violent. It was kind of like a death sentence if you went into debtor's prison. And so that's the idea that would have been planted in the listeners' minds when they heard Jesus pray this, to be forgiven a debt was no small thing, but it's an act of extravagant mercy. And so we're gonna conclude with this today. I want you to think about this as we leave today. You see, that idea leads us directly to Jesus on the cross. The sinless son of God paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could never pay. Colossians 2, Paul said it this way, you were dead in your trespasses. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands nailing to the cross. I I don't know how you could put it any more dramatically. The debt that you and I owed nailed to the cross. And I wanna ask you this as we leave today. Does it cross your mind that Jesus died on the cross to enable something of himself to live and work in you? That's that new covenant we talked about a little while ago at communion. Does it cross your mind that Jesus went to the cross so that his spirit could live in you, work in you. And so we do have an obligation, ladies and gentlemen, to allow the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, to move and work in our heart and our mind. And he promises us, if you do that, you're gonna receive something in return, life and peace. The spirit of God is gonna give you and I the resources that we have to have, the strength that we need to meet the demands of life, but we have to be involved. Next week, I want to show you how this works. I want to show you how we do this in a very practical way. But today, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you don't mind, I want us to just dwell for a moment about Jesus on the cross. And as Jesus is there on the cross, he is there for one express purpose, Yes, that our sins could be forgiven, but our sins be forgiven so that the holy, the clean, the pure, the spotless Spirit of God could come and live in you and me and give us life and peace. God spoke to his prophet Malachi and he said, this is the purpose of my covenant to give them life and peace. And that's what I gave him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I just want to ask you today, is your life characterized by life and peace? If you could honestly say, yeah, you know, Les, much of the time, my life is characterized by life and peace. My existence is characterized by life and peace. That means your mind is being governed by the Spirit. Bless the Lord. But if you're sitting here today and you say, you know what, Les? If I'm being really honest, most of my existence is not life and peace. It's the exact opposite. What is the Word of God telling you today? What's the Word of God telling me? That you have a mind-governed, by the flesh. What do we do? We plead with God. God, please, I need my mind to be governed by, to be managed by your spirit. And just say, Lord, today, would you set my feet on that path where my mind could be governed by your spirit. I want to pray for us before we go today. Lord, thank you so much. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you went to that cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to that cross to save our soul, but beyond that, to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And I just thank you so much for that today, Jesus. And I just ask, Lord, for that person here today who's not walking in life and peace, Father, that they would just be able to know how to set their feet upon that path by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. As Cindy and Dave mentioned up here a little while ago, lead them into your word, Father, so that they might have life and peace that comes from a mind governed by your Spirit. We love you so much today. We're so grateful for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.